Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here in June. Rhino, a little warmish, <laughs> especially if you run the AC too much and too long and it freezes up on you. That happened to you? Happened to me at the apartment. Oh shoot. Saturday late into Sunday morning, so I've I've lived without the AC for a day. I'm gonna let it go another day before I turn it back on, and hopefully it'll be all gravy. You got fans or anything? Oh yeah, slept under a fan and next to a box fan. Like the old. It's not days. the first time I've lived without AC. At my old place, the AC went out for several months before it was fixed. So I've I've done it before. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> well, at least it's not like August. True. I mean, it's just June. It's not bad. Just June. Yeah. Just creeping into the 90s, not yeah. staying in the 90s overnight. Wait till we head on up there to the Neshoba County Fair in July. Right? Just in advance of the primary elections in August. A lot of stuff going on, though, over the weekend. Oh, my gosh. What happened up in Washington, D.C. with the sonic booms? That was craziness. I I was a little surprised because I'm scrolling through social media and I see all these reports of an explosion underground in Washington, D.C. An explosion rattles windows along the East Coast, heard from here to there. And it's like, really? I mean, no pictures, no video, just reports of an explosion. And then people start doing some digging and comments are made and statements get released saying, yeah, there was a, there was a boom. It was a sonic boom because a private plane, I believe carrying two people, was flying over Virginia and the D.C. area and not responding to radio calls. Right. And it got awfully close to the airspace around the White House and the Capitol, so they scrambled jets, and the jets broke the sound barrier, which causes a sonic boom. Yeah. And then the plane crashed and the people lost their lives. But yeah, that was that was the talk of the town for a little while. That and was there was crazy. another plane crash in the Magnolia State over the weekend. Tell us about that up in Tupelo. It was right? a little two-seater private plane that it wait, appears, wait, 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 wait. You said it was a Navajo Panther. Navajo Panther. Sorry, I'm thinking about the one in Virginia. Right, right. So it was a Navajo Panther, two people on board, 
and they crashed near the airport in Tupelo, and all lives were lost on board. That's weird. So a Navajo panther is a um, a small twin, kind of a mid-sized twin, a Piper product, and it would be in the same sort of category as a small version of the King Air, and what, what sort of odd about that is that is the plane that Johnny Morgan, Oxford resident, former state senator, well-known individual in Mississippi, he went down a few weeks ago, recall, when he was flying his King Air, his small King Air, up to Arkansas for some maintenance work, and now we have a Navajo Panther, which is, a, again, a, a mid-sized sort of twin, I think maybe seats eight or nine, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And and we don't have any details other than, like, was around the airport, though, right? So something happened there. Very unusual. Extremely unusual. Those planes can fly on one, one engine. They're designed to do so. And before you can get certified to fly those planes, you got to prove you can take off, land, fly with one fan, as we say. It's very interesting. So sad to hear these kinds of things going on. Uh, and, of course, last week we had the tragedy here in central Mississippi with a police officer, a Madison police officer, responding to a hostage situation in Rankin County in, in the Brandon area came to assist Brandon Police Department, and a Madison police officer was shot as part of that response and killed, sadly. Brandon police officer was critically injured. So we have certainly had uh, our share of unusual tragedies here in Mississippi in uh, the recent past. In the meantime, Joe Biden signed that debt bill. Man, oh man. Now the government can borrow money again. So here's what's going to happen. Expect a torrent of Treasury bills to be issued. Because they had not been able to borrow anymore. They've been living off cash reserves. If you could believe they have any, the federal government... You know, at any point in time, Apple has more cash on hand than the U.S. government. So they're going to start selling T-bills again and notes and bonds, depending on the duration of maturity. Bonds, the longer. Notes, the middle. Maturity and then bills. So, but the president decided to go to the nation. By the way, uh, in Mississippi here, before we get to the president's remarks, Three of our four members of the House supported the legislation, and one did not. Congressman Michael Guest, he voted against the bill. Over there in the Senate, both Senators Cindy Hyde-Smith and Roger Wicker voted against the legislation. It seemed like, though, Rhino, they had different reasons for their nay votes. Senator Wicker expressed concerns about funding of the military, that the funding does not 
though it increases, does not keep up with inflation. That's considered a decrease. And Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith shared the standard concern, all the information I saw at least, you may have seen something else, about just the unsustainability of our trajectory of spending and deficit creation and running up the debt. Ain't no doubt about that. That trajectory, it does not look very good. But the president, oh my gosh. He, I thought we were supposed to elect this guy because he was going to unite us, bring us together, restore the soul of the nation. Don't you remember that refrain over and over again? And Donald Trump was the most divisive president ever. We had to oust him and get somebody in there that could bring us together. And so I watched his remarks in their entirety. Was... Friday evening, I believe, is when he addressed the nation, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Wasn't it like 7 o'clock so. uh, Eastern time? And I got to tell you, I just was boiling watching it because, once again, he does not communicate facts. Now, unfortunately, you can say things that I guess are technically accurate, but they're grossly misleading and lack context and nuance. I know you find that shocking for a politician. <laughs> but I, honestly, I'm just getting just worked up watching it. I had to leave the room where my wife was and go watch it in another room. She didn't want to hear it. <laughs> But the stuff he says, it's just not right. It's, again, taken out of context and lacking nuance. And he sort of started out by praising, right, the, the bipartisanship to pull this thing through, avoiding a catastrophic default. But in the same speech, he just castigates Republicans for all the ideas they had to avoid the default and the, the, um, the deleterious consequences of their policies. Eight million people would be out of job like today <laughs> if we didn't pass this bill. Oh, but he came to the rescue and brought them together, right? Right. Stuff like that. Well, there's a series of other things I got to get to. And also, something uh, that he said that I just want to explain to folks how it's just not true. And again, taken out of context and needs some clarification and explanation. Also, Moe's on the ceasefire text line sent me something last week that I failed to get to. And I asked him to remind me of it this morning. And he has. And we will get to that, Moe's. I promise you. I'm going to discuss the president's speech, and then I'm going to get to your issue. I appreciate everybody for joining us today. We're having some technical difficulties with the phone lines here today, so we don't have any guests. you got me and Rhino for two hours. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
bring us into this segment here on Middays. So, the president says that this debt ceiling deal is going to bring the debt down by a trillion dollars, Rhino. Now, when you hear that, you know we got 31 and change. Let's call it $31.5 trillion of debt. Now, if somebody told you this debt ceiling deal is going to reduce the debt by a trillion, what's the figure you think we would have in terms of debt after this deal is implemented? Well, if it's $31.5 trillion today, and the president says we're going to reduce it by a trillion, I think the average person would think, oh, that's great. After this thing is implemented, it'll be $30.5 trillion, a $1 trillion reduction from the $31.5 trillion where it presently sits. Would you say that's reasonable, that most people think that? Yeah. If you just I, take it at face value. Yeah. So... I mean, if, if you owed $1,000 and I said, hey, look, I'm going to give you 500 after that, if you'll put it down towards that debt, then now you only owe 500 I'm just going to release you from $500 of the $1,000. You'd say, great, I'm going to have $500 of debt after that. Thank you. That's not what happens, though. That's not what happens. What he's saying is, okay, we're set to add fourteen trillion of debt over ten years. Remember, everything's always in ten-year increments. Ten years. Whenever, whenever you talk about dollars of taxes and spending, in general, unless they tell you otherwise, up there in Washington, it's ten years. So. What's really happening here is that rather than adding $14 trillion of debt over 10 years, we're only going to add $13 trillion. And he describes that as we're bringing the debt down by a trillion. You see the games that get played here? It's aggravating. I mean, I had to stand up. I was sitting down. I got so mad. I had to stand and say, this is not true. And then he starts pointing to, you know, I took over from the last administration, record deficit, and ran up the debt more than any other administration in history. That's absolutely, totally true. I agree with that. But what he fails to tell you is that that is a function of one thing and one thing only, and that's the COVID, and every Democrat voted for it. He won't tell you that. And if his buddy had been sitting in the U.S. Senate, he would have voted for it. So it's like, not like Donald Trump unilaterally added this. Now, I might not agree with that, but just for argument's sake, in 2017, the deficit was $650 billion, Trump's first year. In 2018, $779. In 2019, $983. You see the trend. It's going up, no doubt. That's bad. But all of a sudden, here comes 2020, and it ballooned to $3.1 trillion, the biggest deficit in our history, no doubt. But what he doesn't tell you is, you COVID nuts, we're all on board with that crap. 
Not only that, when you took office there, Mr. President, one of the first things you did is pass that stupid ARPA plan for $1.9 trillion. And why was that? Oh, COVID. we got to send more helicopter money out for the COVID. You see the problem with the way he says that? The last administration, they spent. Well, I don't like that either. But for you to act like, oh, I came in and things were just in the ditch and I had nothing to do with it, nor did my party. And what's the first thing I did to fix that? Spend another $1.9 trillion. You can't make it up. And then once again, he talks about how Republicans wanted to cut funding for the IRS. And that would have cut $150 billion of revenue. Once again, over 10 years, and that's completely speculative by shaking down Americans. But when you hear them talk about we got to have these 87,000 IRS agents, it's like they're going to go out and just find trillions of dollars of unreported income or tax that's being avoided or evaded from the 1%. That's what they want you to believe. And it's just not true. It's not true. And we're going after oil and crypto. We're going to end the treatment of crypto transactions for tax purposes and the subsidies to big oil. Oh, but it's okay to give subsidies to the green industry to the tune of trillions. That's okay, because that fits your little agenda. How about none of them? And once again, still stuck, you talked about this before, in the 70s, talks about, brags about the jobs created, and in particular, 800,000 manufacturing jobs. He says, who says America can't lead the world in manufacturing? Dude, I had you look it up that time. 6% of total jobs in this country. 6%. And it's not growing. And it shouldn't grow. Because we're automating the hell out of the manufacturing process. I'm all for building factories here. But what you're not going to see is building factories and having job fair days where we're hiring thousands of people to come screw bolts on nuts. Nuts on bolts, pardon me. You're not going to see that anymore. You don't need that. Why don't they get that? That's not the future. Again, I'm good with building stuff here because I don't want to rely on China. But to think that you're just going to jam these factories with workers, union workers, all making ridiculous wages, taking two months off a year with egregious benefits, no, that ain't happening, Joe. Because the American public won't pay the price for it. Correct. And that's 50 years old. I mean, he's still stuck and still bragging about that. Well, I have something else in the speech. He said Republicans want to gut Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid, and that's what their plan would have done. No, it wouldn't have. They made it very clear. Honestly, to my chagrin, nobody will touch that. We're not talking about gutting it. We're talking about sensible, reasonable, fair reforms. Both parties ought to be talking about this. And they won't. This bill doesn't touch 70% of spending. Hands off. Can't touch that. And he once again made this comparison. A school teacher in Boston shouldn't pay a higher rate than a billionaire who pay 8%. 
And once again, and the people out there that believe Joe say, yeah, that's right, Joe, you go get them. The billionaires are only playing 8%. No, they're not. That's not true. Once again, that figure is based on unrealized gains. Unrealized, meaning no sale, no transaction, no proceeds, no income. 8% is based on this holy grail wealth tax they want to implement. It's just disingenuous. That's not accurate. It's a lie. It's all Biden knows how to do. It's all he's done for 50-plus years in government is lie, lie, lie. And then he takes a breath, and then he lies some more. Unbelievable. More Americans are working today than ever in the history of this country. Still have a lagging labor participation rate, which is a way more accurate figure. Measurement. Oh, gosh. And then he brags about how it protects the CHIPS Act. It's going to bring key parts of our supply chain to America. Oh, because we're just giving Intel money. Unbelievable. But that's what he went on to say. We beat Big Pharma, too. Right. Oh, gosh. So maddening. All right, Mose. Mose sent a letter to his senator and representative. He also sent it to Representative Becky Curry. And, and I suspect, Mose, that's because of maybe the interview that we did here on Middays with Representative Curry, and I'll explain that in a second. But Mose basically asked for, in his letter, I'll get to it when we come back, I promise, Mose, but I'll just kind of tease it a little bit. He asked in his letter of these representatives to introduce legislation in the next se- session which would eliminate the state portion of the grocery sales tax. He said, I believe this change would help all Mississippians much more than eliminating the state income tax, which only helps those who are working. I'll continue Moses' letter on the other side of the break, folks, and then I'll discuss it somewhat. Appreciate you doing that, Mose. Appreciate you reminding me of it. We're just getting started here. You got Rhino and I for two hours today in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. We're coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. hits, but that's the one that really put him on the map right there. Was that 1971 or so? 72? 
like that. Billy Joel, and he has uh, pretty much been a permanent fixture there at Madison Square Garden, but he has announced that he's winding it down, right? believe so. That's the one that put him on the map, though. 1973. Okay. Missed it by a year. Yeah. Well, all right, so back with you here, back to this uh, letter that Mose, a frequent listener, sent to his representatives and also to Representative Becky Curry, where Mose is calling on them to introduce legislation to at least eliminate the state portion of sales taxes on groceries. And so correct me if I'm wrong here, Mose. I think the reason you also included Representative Becky Curry from Lincoln County in your letter is because you recall this, Rhino, when we had her here on the program, this was this during the session or perhaps right after? I think it was during the session. And this is when the House was once again the State House was talking about the bill to eliminate the income tax, and they had a conference meeting about it and asked some questions, and, and that leaked. Those conference meetings are supposed to be confidential, and there were some leaks from discussion, questions asked specifically by members, and Representative Curry was one of them that asked a question, I think, of the speaker related to the bill, and we were discussing that in an interview, and I recall asking her if a bill were introduced to eliminate sales taxes on groceries in Mississippi, what would the outcome be? And you recall she very promptly, without hesitation, responded, I think it would pass this afternoon. You remember that, Rhino? Yeah, and Mo says, you're correct. She's been trying to pass this for three years. So, and why the state-only portion? Well, that's because the sales tax, sales tax, read a little primer, sales tax revenues in Mississippi are sent by retailers who collect the sales tax to the Department of Revenue, and a portion of that is diverted. I want to say it's 18 percent, the number that comes to mind is diverted back to the municipalities where the transaction has occurred. And that's their primary source of revenue. Some municipalities, the, their share of property taxes, of, of property inside the city limits, may exceed sales tax revenues. It just depends on the city. So, for example, in the city of Jackson, property tax revenue exceeds sales tax revenue. In the city of Ridgeland, just north of Jackson in the county of Madison, it's the opposite. Sales tax revenue exceeds property tax revenue. But nonetheless, that, that's their two sources of revenue, and they obviously heavily rely on sales tax revenue. Municipalities do. Small mun- municipalities in particular will be home to grocery retailers. They're primary, in many cases, retailers. And thus, most of their revenue is derived from sales taxes on groceries produced by the grocery stores. 
inside the city limits. And so if you eliminated fully the grocery tax, sales tax, you would uh, also remove a big chunk of revenue that those municipalities rely on to operate. And that's a problem. And you remember that in what I think the final iteration of the sales tax elimination bill from the House in 22, in the 22 session, remember they had a like a, a way to cover the loss of that uh, revenue for them as part of that program because there was going to be a reduction of that. But nonetheless, that's where that came from. So Mose goes on to say groceries are a necessity for all of us, and the grocery tax disproportionately affects low-income families who spend a larger percentage of their income on food. While the state income tax may benefit those who are working, eliminating the state portion of the grocery tax would benefit everyone regardless of their income level. You know, Mose, I hear you. I'm not totally sure I disagree, that I agree with you on this. And here's why. If we do eliminate the grocery tax, and I believe that Representative Curry is accurate when she said, yeah, that would, that would go through overwhelmingly and pass immediately. You can pretty much forget about elimination of the income tax. If that happens, it's over. Because the state would lack revenue from sales taxes to offset it. So you're making the point is you're making the math way more difficult. If you eliminated sales taxes on groceries, that leaves a hole in the budget to the state. Because what most suggested is just the state portion. So the rest of it, let's say it's 18% that goes to the cities, that still would be in place, whatever that percentage would be. Uh, as a percentage of retail sale, and diverted to the cities, the state would receive no revenue from sales taxes on groceries. Well, that just makes it more difficult to eliminate the income tax. Conservatives in general, and conservative thought in general, has always promoted the idea that it's more fair to tax consumption than it is income, production. So those who want both, that math doesn't work. Show me how the math works. And I know there are people out there listening right now, Rhino, that say, oh, we can just do both. I'm all for that. Show me a model. A viable model. Can't do it. It was hard enough eliminating the income tax. Now you're talking about eliminating at least a large share of sales tax revenue by eliminating sales taxes on groceries. So that's pretty much what etch in stone our present situation, not to mention that you'd have to figure out a way to make sure you can offset the loss of that sales tax revenue, the state's portion, on groceries. So I I guess the other issue I have, Mose, is that if, if our goal is to truly grow our economy and also, which it should be, and also boost 
household and per capita income, which is key to everything, honestly. It's key to education. It's key to economic prosperity. It's both a, the key to it and a measurement of it. Then eliminating the income tax goes way further than the sales tax on groceries, which if you put the pencil to it, Mose, I think you'd find that's not very much. Now, I also agree with you that because of our progressive uh, income tax system, there are a lot of people in Mississippi that aren't hit by income taxes, especially after the reform we passed last year. We took a lot of people off the income tax rolls, so they're not worried about it now. Okay, now give me more, give me my, my sales tax elimination. And I knew when we passed that bill that stopped short of full elimination, it would make it that much more difficult to eventually get there, to full elimination. I think that ship has sailed, personally. Now, there may be some folks in the legislature who would differ with that, and that's fine, and I would support it. The, um, the commercial that we played with at the federal level, for example, that where Trump's PAC's running, Ron DeSales tax <laughs> to uh, old McDonald. I can't remember the name of the song. Tax, tax here, to tax, tax there. And that's because DeSantis, you should know this, supported the so-called fair tax, which is a consumption tax in lieu of income taxes and payroll taxes. And the idea is everybody pays and uh, work is not punished. And so I guess I would say, Mose, I'm a little surprised to hear, well, you're only helping the working people by eliminating income taxes. That's pretty important, isn't it, Mose? Helping working people. We want more work, more contribution, more production. More working people, more incentive to work more, to work harder, to produce more. So that's where we're having an issue. We're coming right back. Final segment, hour one in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Rick in Gulfport, by the way, reminds about the ramp tech. We were talking about the airplane crashes in a short, compressed time period. The King Air, Johnny Morgan, lost his life in, headed from Oxford to Arkansas. And then over the weekend, the Navajo Panther in Tupelo. And the ramp tech, that's right, stole the King Air and was going to crash it in the Walmart. That was like right before the first football game Saturday as I recall, um, college football. That was weird as well. Yeah. No doubt. So, on the ceasefire tax line, <clears throat> Mose says, as a retiree, we will never agree on this issue, and that's because retirement income in the state of Mississippi is not subject to state income tax. 
Agree. So what does that say, though, Mose? Hey, come to Mississippi, retired people who don't work, and enjoy tax-exempt retirement income. I, I, I'm for them coming to the state as well, but I'm also for policy that incentivize people who work to graduate from our great colleges and universities to stay here and make their homes and seek occupations here. Otherwise, we got problems. We, we need laborers, need workers. That's still an issue. It's an issue nationwide. It's a, arguably a bigger one here. And so that's what the benefit is of uh, exempting income from tax, not just retirement income, which is the problem now. But I agree with you, Mose. That, that makes this issue clearly threading a needle, if you think about it. No doubt. Honestly, it sort of pales into comparison, though, folks, to what federal taxes. I mean, most people, if you look at your tax liability and where your tax income taxes are going, by far, it's to the Fed relative to the, to the state. In fact, in the country, the average income tax, effective income tax rate for all taxpayers in the U.S. is about 12 percent. So the top rate in Mississippi, once the bill that just passed in 22 goes into effect, will be 4 percent. So three times more, on average, you pay to the Fed than you would the state. Any proposed tax cut should be directed towards state highways, says DJ and Summit. That will promote economic prosperity and save lives. So, DJ, are you saying in lieu of cutting income taxes, we need to spend more on highways? I'm not really following. Tax cuts means less revenue. Why should the legislature pass tax reforms when they can just attack the woke and breeze into office or re-election, says Thomas in Greenwood? You are correct. The ship has sailed. It was right there, and now it is gone, says K-Dog and Wiggins. Leave it as is on the ceasefire tax line from the 662. And some towns would suffer greatly without grocery tax, says Gary from Tishomingo. And that was the point we made, Gary, was that the bill that would have the final one, you recall, Rhino, where there was a concession made to reduce, the not totally eliminate, but reduce sales taxes on groceries and phase in the elimination of the income tax. The state was going to make up the shortfall at the municipal level through a formula so they wouldn't lose any of that revenue, which, by the way, in Mississippi, municipalities receive 18.5%. I said 182 It was off by 0.3. I apologize for that. I looked it up. 18.5% of the 7% sales tax in Mississippi is diverted, is sent back, rebated back to the municipalities. That's how they get their, a good chunk of their income. Penny and Winona says, I'm so sick of hearing about poor people. There are hundreds of programs, internships, and educational opportunities for poor to do better. 
And sometimes, Penny, this is the hard part about this rhino, and you know, you know this, you got to move to where the jobs are. There's a mismatch. There's a skills mismatch, and there is a geographic mismatch. Which has gotten a lot better than what it once was. Agreed. I mean, who all had to read Grapes of Wrath in school? Right. That Part of that story is you're literally, literally going across country f- trying to find work. You don't have to do that anymore. That's right. But sometimes you do have to move counties. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Nissan that at one time here in Canton said that they had employees from all 82 counties working there. Wouldn't surprise me. Especially when they first opened up. Yeah, and I think that's what we're talking about. I know the Amazon Fulfillment Center in Madison at the mega site, it's got folks, if you go look at the car tags when they're departing there in the afternoon from a lot of the counties that aren't Madison. We're coming right back with Hour 2 on Middays. Fox News, Super Talk News, up next. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two, middays, live from the Element Wealth Studios. It's a brand new week here on the middays at Super Talk Mississippi. Once again, we're having a bit of technical difficulties with the phone lines and so forth, and we had a remote interview scheduled for today, and we have postponed that, so that's causing a bit of problem. We're good on the air, though, and we appreciate everyone tuning in. And joining us here on the program, in the studio again tomorrow and Wednesday, Thursday, I'm headed to Point Clear, Alabama. have been asked to um, speak at the Mississippi Hospital Association's annual convention. You're going to speak at breakfast on Thursday. Looking forward to that. I said, what you want me to talk about? <laughs> they said, politics. Hmm, I don't know if I can handle that. Don't have anything to talk about. <laughs> uh, looking forward to that, though. And then Friday, I'm going to be up there in Greenville for the Celebrity Soul Charity Golf Tournament, our good friend Steve Azar's annual event. Always brings in the celebs from all over the place, huh? Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. Delta Soul's a big deal. Delta Soul. I got the hat, the shirts, the whole bit, and have interviewed Olympic gold medalist. How about that? How cool is that? Looking forward to that. Steve does a great job. His friends turn out. They come to the great state of Mississippi, travel to the heart of the Mississippi Delta for a good dang cause. He's a great ambassador for our state. And they must be having a good time because they keep coming back. That's exactly right. Also, we got to congratulate the USM Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. They are playing in the finals today. The rubber game, rubber, game, rubber match? Yeah. Against the, uh, well, it would be the elimination game, uh, I right. think, right? So against the Quakers of Penn on the plains over there in Auburn. They took care of Auburn, the host program, out. 
Interesting. And so the winner, and we are pulling for the Golden Eagles. I couldn't help but chuckle about talking about baseball and a a host being out. Did you hear what happened with with Clemson and Tennessee? A little bit. Help me out. So they're obligated, the, the home stadium is obligated to play the song for the winning team after the match, after the game. I've got soccer on the brain. I keep saying match. And Clemson obliged. They played Rocky Top for about seven seconds. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done a whole bunch of baseball PA in my day. Love it. Love the game, of course. Love doing PA. I've done radio, baseball, too, play-by-play. But I remember doing a game at the home park where I was doing the PA, and, of course, it's customary for the home team to play walk-up songs for the batters, right, as they right. approach. Well, a mother of a player on the visiting team came to see me in the press box and was mad because we weren't playing songs for the visiting team. she got to be new to the whole deal. It's the only <laughs> thing I could think of. Like, oh, man, we don't do that. I had another situation where I always wanted to make sure I pronounced names correctly. Because you know there's parents and families in the stand. You want to get that right. And so uh, if there was a name I might be unsure about, I would go clear it with usually the coach, the head coach. Just go straight to them. So I did that for this particular team, and I announced the starting lineups. And here comes the mother up to the press box. You said it wrong. Uh, and I asked her, what's the correct pronunciation? Of course, she gave it to me. I said, well, ma'am, you need to have a talk with the coach because that's the way he pronounced it. True story. Oh, gosh. But you want to get that right. I, I, I understand. I'm sensitive to that. That's the only situation I ever had where somebody came and said, you pronounced it wrong. That coming from a person who spent a career playing ball, getting their name pronounced. Pronounced incorrectly. Um, it used to make my mother mad as well. They'd often get the first and the last name wrong. But that's fine. You know, no big deal. I, I'm going to still be able to play. You know, it's no, no big deal. It's not like these people who get bent out of shape and you know, about misgendering them. Oh, I got chewed out keeping score for a. Gosh, it had to have been. 10 and under, maybe 12 and under baseball, rec league, keeping score. And batter base runner was out at first, so the run doesn't count. But they wanted that run on the board. They kept screaming <laughs> up at the press box that I was cheating them out of a run. So they're thinking, you don't know the rules. Oh, my gosh, exactly. Speaking of the misgendering, you're starting to see this movement across the country where if you misgender somebody, you might be fired, cited, reprimanded. Well, city of Dallas. Wouldn't think you'd see it there. They've now produced a gender transition toolkit. (laughs) Why do you need a toolkit for that? requires all public employees to use a transitioning person's preferred pronouns regardless of your personal beliefs. 
This was obtained in an open records request. It lays out the protocols and procedures the city of Dallas adopted recently to, quote, support an inclusive and productive workplace environment. Why are pronouns so important, so critical to being productive? I'm saying if a person is all jacked up about their pronouns, they probably are going to struggle being productive. Got other things on their mind. Yes, exactly. The toolkit defines transitioning as, quote, the process of changing one's gender from the sex assigned at birth to one's gender identity. And so an employee, they say, has the right to be addressed by the name and pronoun of their choice. Our addressing the employee by their chosen pronoun is a sign of respect for them as an individual. Oh, gosh. It's a form of discrimination and harassment if you don't use the correct pronoun, and thus it would fall under whatever the city's policies are against discrimination and harassment in terms of an employee. They will be investigated. That's what the book says. If anyone refuses to use the preferred non-biological pronouns, the offending person, quote, will be investigated and, quote, may be disciplined up to and including termination. Think about that. You see a dude who's clearly a dude, and you call him a dude. He, him, you know? And they say, and they melt down and complain about it and file a grievance. And the next thing you know, you're fired because you told somebody, you called somebody, he, him. That's upside down. Yeah, I know, I get fired up. I had a friend that called said, you're yelling. <laughs> when, I tell you, nothing makes me yell more than anything, and I apologize if my yelling got to you, folks, than politicians lying, elected officials lying especially presidents. I'm weird like that. I want them to tell the truth. And when they don't, I'm calling their butts out. Simple as that. I know. For emphasis, I raise my voice a bit. Hmm. In the meantime, speaking of all this gender madness, surely you have seen the magazine cover this would be Glamour, the U.K. version. You seen this, Rhino? Not a <laughs> subscriber to Glamour. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, you, when you think of the magazine Glamour, don't you typically think about glamorous, attractive, well-dressed, well-appointed, maintained females? Usually, yeah. yeah. Usually wearing a dress that costs more than my car. Right, exactly. I mean, the name of the magazine is Glamour. No, no, no. Not in the UK. You see, they're featuring Logan Brown. Logan is a female. I'm trying to get this right. I stay confused. That would be a transgender male. Right? Female. Transgender male. Oh, is this the picture of the dude with the, the tuxedo painted on his pregnant belly? Quote, unquote, his... Pregnant belly. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I saw that. The, in the, <laughs> the headline on the uh, front of the magazine, it features Logan Brown with a pregnant belly and belly button showing. 
trans pregnant proud. That's what. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just want you to know that uh, I do exist. I'm a pregnant trans man and I do exist. No matter what anyone says, I'm living proof. No, you're not. You're a dang female. With all the body parts you gotta have, I'm yelling again, with all the body parts you gotta have to get pregnant. You just think you're a male, but you're not. Do they think that early 90s Arnold Schwarzenegger movie was a documentary? We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. The GOP field looks like it might expand a little bit this week, Rhino. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence says uh, looks like he's getting ready to in, uh, enter the race. Also, former Governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. No stranger to running for president. Looks like he's thinking about it. As well as Governor Doug Burgum. Chris Christie's surprising to me. That he's going to run? Yeah, because the last time around, his entire campaign was derailed by essentially a nothing burger story involving a bridge. That's true. So how does he think he's going to fare any better this time around? He just don't like Trump. That's the bottom line. He just doesn't like Trump. Uh, Burgum, like, who's he? He's the governor of North Dakota. I didn't think about that. But he's, uh, looks like he's mounting a campaign. Talking seriously. Also on May 30th, Minnesota became the 23rd state to legalize recreational weed. 38th. And you know something else that's really catching fire, that's going to be a big issue? School choice. More states adopting school choice. The state of Iowa. You remember early, uh, earlier this year, Governor Kim Reynolds was really boasting about her state's passing a universal school choice bill earlier in the year, and then it was Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' top priority. She got it done. I mean, first really big legislation passed in her term as governor, which just began this past January. So you had two states run by Republicans right off the bat, passed big-time sweeping school choice reforms, and Iowa just opened up 
their portal where a family can apply. And essentially what happens is the money allocated, assigned to the student, the public money for their public education, follows them to a non-public school. It could be a charter school, which is actually a public school, or a private school, or home school, whatever setting they deem best for their child, for their student. But the money follows them. And the state of Iowa reported overwhelming response in terms of applications. I think they actually said the website crashed. It was saturated with traffic. I don't think Arkansas has opened up their portal yet where students can apply. But you see how the... It's another one of those issues, Rhino, where the states are just in completely different camps. And school choice, clearly one of them. Uh, There's a number of other issues as well, but school choice, one. So what about here in Mississippi? We don't seem to be able to get that done. And maybe with the change in the legislature that we're all going to elect this coming November, perhaps school choice will be also uh, a priority, and we'll see if we can get that done here. I think it's appropriate when we're interviewing candidates to ask them about their position on that critical issue. There's a number of issues that candidates should all be discussing, of course. I'm talking about state candidates for House, Senate, statewide offices. But that's certainly one of them that we need to see how they feel about where they stand. And again, you're watching several other states really pushing hard uh, and pushing through legislation that enacts school choice. Governor Kim Reynolds said, I believe this this was just right after the the, um, opening of the the application process on the whatever website the state of Iowa has created for that purpose, says, I believe school choice will create a system of schools, both public and private, that are driven by student-centered missions. In the first 24 hours, Iowa successfully processed one application every 12 seconds, 7,256 applications. Right next door, in the Cornhusker State, speaking of taxes, of Nebraska, they became, did Nebraska, the latest state to join the 2023 tax rate cut movement. The unicameral legislature in the Cornhusker State passed substantial cuts to both personal and business income taxes. Highest rate now at 3.99, that's down from 6.84%. And on business income, 3.99 down from 7.25 by 2027, phased in. So there you go. Yet uh, just another issue where states are going in different directions, just diametrically opposed. The blue states looking to enact more taxes 
higher taxes. Most red states, if they haven't already reformed their income tax structure, they're looking to do so. Very interesting. Good, good to see that. Let's see here. On the ceasefire text line, Malcolm from Tishomingo says, Gerard, have you thought about going into politics to see about making a difference in the crap going on now, or are we past the point of no return? I, yeah, I've thought about it, Malcolm. Um, my wife says I'm too honest. She said, you can't get elected, you tell the truth too much, you're too honest. <laughs> I don't want to believe that, honestly, but it's a warning. And I think those who tune in regularly know that I try not to give anybody a pass, honestly. If I see what I believe is either bad policy or misrepresented policy, this is what we had with the president this morning on my little tirade. <laughs> he misrepresented everything, honestly, about the debt reduction deal. And I can't stand that because what bothers me about that is that it's complicated. They know it's complicated. And they know the average person won't go back and fact-check what they say. And there are not enough media on the right that would fact-check what folks on the left say. On the other hand, on the left, they just promote the same narrative, which is also incorrect and inaccurate. And it, it bothers me. Neil from Pontotoc says, I can't recall my boss ever calling by a pronoun. They usually call me Neil. I agree with you, Neil, but I guess there'd be cases where you would write or speak and refer to a person uh, without talking to them directly, but in conversation with other people or written exchanges with other people. And I guess somebody finds out about that. And they're offended because you misgendered them. Now, in the city of Dallas, and they're not unique in this respect. You know, there's other, there are other, at least public sector institutions, colleges, universities, etc., that uh, do reprimand employees if they misgender people, even perhaps as severe as termination. Jerry in Pontotoc says, a gender toolkit is the stupidest damn thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I hear you. Gerard, you have a reason to raise your voice because I do it all the time and sometimes I'm throwing stuff at the radio or TV or, or of course, Mama is scolding me for it. Laugh out loud. That's on the ceasefire text line. None of this matters. What's really important to play some Krabby Appleton, go back on the bumper music. <laughs> Hadn't heard Krabby in a while, says Gary in, in the Berg. That would be up to Rhino. He's at the controls. He, con he controls the musical selections there, Gary. Appreciate you texting in. We got half an hour left here on Middays. Don't forget it's Ricky Matthews and Super Talk Outdoors after the 12 o'clock hour. Stay with us. It's in their blood, you know. All roads lead to another road for renegades, rebels, and rebels.
with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us today. I'm a longtime advocate for public education, says Mike in Gulfport on the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. However, in today's world, there is too much government and union interference to get the public education I got in the 50s and 60s in Jackson. What a shame we've gone backwards choice give caring parents a chance to educate their children. I hear you, Mike, but I would also point out there are a number of outstanding schools and school districts in the state of Mississippi. I think what's changed, honestly, Mike, since you and I were in school is just the the range of quality. That you have some super schools that do a great job in educating children, and then you got some that are just terrible, and then everything in between. I, I think, I feel like that a few decades ago they were just more close in quality. There was not as big a gap in the uh, the overall performance of one school versus another. I think that's what's changed. Well, there was less information and technology to leverage for better education. Well, there is, but I would also encourage you to think that the poorer school districts get more support financially to invest in and equip their classrooms and their schools with technology. The problem is that the teachers aren't really skilled in using those. I've personally witnessed this. Yeah, smart board is only as good as the teacher that can use it. Right, as an example. But but you're right. There are a number of tools available today, but you've got to leverage those, and you've right. got to be trained on how to leverage those and use those as uh, for educational value. But I still believe it starts at the house. Oh yeah, it's it's the decline and the dissolution of the nuclear family. Still, honestly the best form of governance ever invented is the nuclear family, but gosh, we have folks on the left now that denounce the nuclear family and and uh, describe it as what? White colonial Western culture, European culture that we've got to dismantle. I don't think about the race when I think about the nuclear family. It applies. And if you look at the black community, isn't it true, Rhino, that in the 50s and 60s, you had more examples of traditional nuclear families in the minority community than you did in the white? Now it's just the opposite. Gee, maybe there's something to that. It's also where we're seeing the poorest performance schools, the most crime, the most poverty. Huh, I wonder if there's a relationship there. The genius is thinking about that, you think? No, it's the fault of 
white European colonial civilization or whatever the hell they call it. We got to decolonize and deconstruct. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wilson from Greenwood says, hey guys, love the show. With all the trans talk and identifying correctly these days, I've made a determination. I'm 50 year old, 55 year old male, but now I, I identify as a female. However, I have also realized that, that I am a gay lesbian, very attracted to my wife of 30 years. <laughs> Feels great to finally get it right. Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> this whole identity deal is crazy. Isn't it? It's the very definition of the tail wagging the dog. I agree. And the way the bill passed in Florida, and there are many other states that have done the same, that just it got so taken out of context and so blown out of proportion, just don't talk about gender identity and sexual orientation to third graders. Jeez, is that... And that's described by the left as, it's fascism. That's fascism? No, fascism is shoving that kind of crap down the throats of third graders. You will think this way. Yeah, it's hard to really buy into the, oh, they're so oppressed when they have a whole month and there's rainbows everywhere. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a real sign of being oppressed when half of society is full-throated behind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Philip in Brookhaven says, I believe back in the 50s and 60s when I was in school, there was more teaching done at home. Most everyone I know could read before they even started school. I think that's true, but again, I think, Philip, that, that just varies. There was varies. also a lot less, of, there was less access to early childhood education in the 50s and 60s. That's true. I mean, the idea of kindergarten was... If not a fresh idea, was not even really on the ground running in the 50s and 60s. And pre-K was definitely not a thing. Yep. Agree. And, you know, when the governor was at the House last week for our, our fundraiser, he, it, it was the day after the New York Times opinion column was uh, published. Oh, wow, I was way off. What's that? Mississippi was the last state to offer public kindergarten in 1986. So, yeah, it wasn't around in the 50s and 60s. It wasn't, because um, I actually didn't go to kindergarten because I didn't have a way to get to it. My mother didn't drive. My father traveled Monday and didn't come back. And they didn't they didn't have a bus available where I went to school. And so I didn't go to kindergarten. So I think it's fair to say back then my mother, who stayed home while my father traveled, probably Fair to say I learned what you'd learn in kindergarten from her. Uh, so in that, but in that respect, um, th that was kind of typical of the era. But this article, Mississippi's Offering Lessons for America on Education, did a great job of really highlighting, focusing on the achievements and the improvements made. And one of the things that was discussed in the article was the, it, who, the person who wrote the article, an, an opinion writer for the New York Times, came to Mississippi and witnessed it firsthand. Went to Jackson. Honestly, not a high-performing school district. Said on my second day in Jackson, I'm reading from the article, where 98% of public school students are people of color, mostly from low-income families, 
I visited a second-grade classroom. The class was reading a book, quote, The Vegetables We Eat. Now, the first thing I reacted when I saw that is, thank God, not some goofy gender book, not some social justice book, just simple The Vegetables We Eat. Yeah, I'd say that's appropriate for a second grader to learn about that. Bravo. The children read aloud and debated what vegetables were. Things that are green, foods that don't taste good. I was startled to see second graders read words like vegetables and eggplant fluently and still more astonished to see the entire class easily read the sentence. Quote, where does nourishing food come from? This is fantastic. You guys agree? This is fantastic. This is what ought to be read in second grade classrooms. And yes, you should be able to read such a statement. I submit that in the deep blue cities that are totally failing in public education, you've seen the reports, they've been highlighted nationally, Chicago, Baltimore, I wonder how many dang seniors in high school can read that simple sentence. Three-syllable words like nourishing? Right. And so it goes on to really tout the gains made in the state of Mississippi and says that Mississippi, honestly, is a template for the rest of the country in this regard. I agree. And I think the governor is right to point to these as successes since he's been in this started before, but he continued them and he, and he believes in them and he's invested in them. And this, this is awesome. You know, I, I still say that the only thing that disappointed me about the article is he had to get a jab in there about, you know, Mississippi still being awash in racism and crap like that. Oh, yeah, I've seen multiple organization news outlets pick up the opinion piece and run it on their particular website or social media and some of the headlines like including the word backwater it's like oh my god that really helping oh my gosh it's so ridiculous they just they can't give up on it can they they it's they gotta insert their little political jabs and their social justice jabs in there and I'm not going to apologize by stating, as I have many times on this program, I think we have more racial harmony here in the state of Mississippi than any of the others. I truly do believe that. And I think it's because we have the highest percentage of, of black people in our state. We had to figure it out. We would not, we weren't going to survive if we didn't, and we have. Does that mean that we're totally absent racism? No. But I still believe we have more harmony than any other state. We're coming right back with a final segment on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Her eyes as black as night now 
are back in the Element Well Studios. It is Middays, final segment. It's Monday. That means Super Talk Outdoors is up next with Ricky Matthews. We thank you so much for joining us. So, on the C Spire text line, Mississippi's early reading program is recognized nationally, says Paul and Meridian. It absolutely is. It's, it's a success story. And what was stated in the article that rubbed me the wrong way, otherwise I'm, I'm grateful for the article. It, it cast Mississippi in a very positive light in the New York Times. In the New York Times. It got national attention, did this article. It says, what's so significant is that while Mississippi hasn't overcome poverty or racism, it still manages to get kids to read and excel. Oh, geez. Like we have the franchise on poverty and racism. I mean, that's that's sort of the way that is um, is presented. I think the way that that's the way that the author intended it to be. I, oh gosh, I don't know. I just wish they'd leave that sort of stuff out. Where was all this identifying when I was in college in the 80s, says Louie from the 662. Oh, the money I could have saved on ladies' night by identifying as a female. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I believe back in the 50s... uh, Oh, yeah, I already got that one. Thank you. That was Philip in Brookhaven. A mother just discovered that they use photos of their daycare children holding up signs supporting LGBTQ this month. That's on the ceasefire text line. No permission was asked for or given to use the child. After further investigation, mother finds they have books and a curriculum for the daycare. I mean, this is, this is just more of the same, and this is where it all starts in the youth years, in the impressionable years, and it continues on through college, where there's... Just look at the law in Tennessee. They passed a law saying you can't perform drag shows and other sexually charged performances in front of children. Right. That passed. And then some loony leftist organization sued for the right to perform sexual performances in front of children and got the Supreme Court to agree with them. Unbelievable. Yeah. Why is it so important for these people to perform their degeneracy in front of kids. I I agree with you. And you know when you look at the way this is this is seen from the sides of the left and the right uh like the drag queen deal. I I saw I'm looking for. I saw an article that I think it was the old Boston Globe and, and, like, the title of the article was something to the effect, Why do conservatives attack drag queens? Like, it's not about attacking drag queens. It's about, is it appropriate for a drag queen to be twerking and gesturing and doing all sorts of other inappropriate actions in front of third graders? I just refuse to be lectured by loony leftists when they lose their minds if you wear a sombrero and poncho for Halloween. That's (laughs) That's cultural appropriation. That's true. But it's totally fine for a dude to be as out there and outlandish as possible wearing a woman costume with eye makeup no real woman would ever wear. That's true. Yeah, the Globe's the title. How Drag Queens Became Conservative Lawmakers' Latest Target. (laughs) It's not the drag queens that are the target. 
It's the forcing drag queen world foisting it on kids. That's the nuance that's missed. Once again, that's not the issue. But that's and the, the way fact that it's it. a free country. If you're, if it's a free enough country for you as a dude to put on a dress and 14 pounds of makeup <laughs> and change your name to Sade, then it's <laughs> still a free enough country for me to call you a loser oh, and a weirdo. Because you are. Yeah. You have to be a loser and a weirdo to want to do that. You have to be mentally damaged to want to do that. I agree. This article says, in 2023, drag queens have been yanked into political debates and targeted by conservative politicians across the country as a spate of new bills and laws seeks to restrict where they can perform. You mean like in front of kindergartners? The prevalence of anti-drag legislation has spread so rapidly that the American Civil Liberties Union set up a drag defense fund. You gotta be kidding me. We're 31 trillion in debt. You got China over there saber rattling around Taiwan. Russia and Ukraine is a powder keg. We got trillions of real estate debt coming due. We didn't get to that today, but I will tomorrow. There's lots of economic headwinds on the horizon. And these guys go set up a drag defense fund. Well, the ACLU's been worthless for decades. Unbelievable. The growing movement against drag even has a name, Drag Panic. <laughs> Unbelievable. We're out of time here today, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll continue this and a whole lot more tomorrow from the Element Well Studios. Super Talk Outdoors next. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.